We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. In Luke's Gospel chapter 22, the beginning section of it takes place in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. We saw last week they took part in the Passover celebration. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And then Luke records this account following those two things. In verses 24 through 27, that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you would stand and follow along as I read. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves." Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, we could never express the gratitude that we have and ought to have for all that you have done for us. Your grace is amazing. And we do consider your word a grace that you've entrusted to us. And so as we come before it, we want to heed the words of Isaiah. We want to tremble before your word. We want to embrace what you have spoken to us. So please help in this time, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Work by the power of your spirit for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, as we look... At this occasion in the upper room, if we're honest, this is very much like us. We may not be so bold as to verbalize it, because that would make us look not great to other people. But in our minds, in our hearts, we struggle. We struggle in this way that we see in this text. We desperately, at times, want to be approved of. We want to find approval in and from other people. We want people to notice us, and in noticing us, to ignore the bad, overlook the sin, pay attention to the good, acknowledge the good, look up to us for the good, and give us approval. See us as really, really great. And for many of us, that's an idol for us. We can be consumed with desiring the approval of other people, desiring attention from other people, desiring to be looked at as great by other people. Really, the strangeness, even though we would all probably confess this looks very much like many of us and how we act in our hearts at least, the strangeness of this text comes in the timing of this argument. Now, this has happened before. Jesus has addressed this before with the disciples. He reprimanded them for this very thing in Luke chapter 9. 
where a similar dispute took place. But here we are in the upper room. Jesus is just hours from the time where he will be arrested and he will lay down his life for those he loves. He has just said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. He has broken bread with them. He has taught them. He has shown them this new covenant, and their response is to dispute over which of them is the greatest. It's likely that this argument arose out of a belief in them that the kingdom is about to be established. Remember, that's what they're thinking. As they approach the cross, they're they're not realizing the truth that Jesus is going to die. He's going to rise again. He's going to go away from them. And then at some later time, like we looked at in Luke chapter 21, he's going to return and receive them to himself. Their thinking was, Jesus is here, and and we don't know exactly what he's talking about, all the suffering and death stuff, but he's going to set up his kingdom, and we're going to reign with him. And so, likely, out of that thinking, this dispute arises among them as to which of them was regarded as the greatest. Where will they sit in this great kingdom? How will they be looked at in this great kingdom. After all, they are the closest to Jesus. Jesus, in verse 25, says to them, the kings of the Gentiles, exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Jesus points out to them that this is the way the world thinks. This is the way the world works. This is the way unbelievers live. The kings of the earth are are authoritarian, Jesus is saying. They, they rule with an iron fist. They exercise lordship over those under them. They rule often at the expense of others. And then as he says here, they're called benefactors. Which means well-doers. Others may suffer under their reign, and yet they will be called well-doers by those under them. That's the way the world functions. That's the way unbelievers live. That's egotism. Thinking in a worldly way. So Jesus is saying to these disciples in the upper room, you're acting like the world. You're acting like the Gentiles. But he goes on. Verse 26, but not so with you. That's the way the world functions. That's the value system of the world. That's the way they think. That's the way they approach things. But not so with you. That's not how followers of Christ operate. The world's value system concerns itself with who is the greatest. And they value power and strength and wealth and success to determine that. But just as Jesus has been saying throughout this Gospel of Luke and demonstrating throughout the Gospel of Luke, the values of the kingdom are upside down from the values of the world. They're not at all the same. They don't look the same. They don't act the same. 
They don't do the same things. And so he says, not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Now, there's a clear point here that Jesus is making, that there's a distinction between the values of the world and the values of those who are in Christ. We ought to look different. We ought to act differently. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. The greatest in the kingdom of God must become like the youngest. Now, in Jesus' culture, old age was regarded as honorable. So the youngest were therefore the lowly or the least in honor. So when Jesus is saying, become like the youngest, he's saying the lowest, the least honored. Become like that. The leader must be one who serves. The world, its people, may look and esteem the the one who's dining at the table as more important than the waiter. That's the example Jesus gives here. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or the one who serves? The world is going to look at that and say, well, certainly the diner, the one who's dining at the table, is greater than the one who's serving him. They may look at it that way, but as followers of Christ, we're called to reorient the way we live. We we reorient our lives toward God. We think differently. We act differently. Our values are turned upside down in the kingdom of God by the gospel. The gospel affects our thinking and our values. The vying of position or vying for position that the disciples are doing here in this upper room is what the unbelievers would do. In God's kingdom, it's the servant and the lowly who are truly great, Jesus says. They're the great ones. Vying for position is not what Jesus is like. We've been called to follow Jesus. We've been called to look to Him and to walk in His ways. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, Jesus says. Our values are different. They're affected by the gospel of Jesus. Because the gospel tells us that even though we were the least deserving of it, someone who is truly great came to us. Someone worthy of glory and honor and praise came and served us. That's the gospel. And therefore, as Jesus is saying here, we ought to respond with gratitude and a willingness to serve others. We seek to tell his story, to point to him, and to bear witness to his story in the way that we live, the way that we act, the things that we value. We seek to show other people what Jesus is like. When we get that mixed up, when we desire to be the ones who are served, when we desire to be those who are looked at as great in worldly definitions, then our desire is really that people would see who we are and what we are like. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 you live in such a way as to show what I'm like. 
And Jesus' entire life was one of serving others. He says here in the text, I am among you as the one who serves. If we were in John's gospel, we would see immediately in the context of him saying this, Jesus does what? He wraps a towel around his waist and gets down and washes the feet of each of his disciples. So he doesn't just say to people, I am among you as the one who serves. He serves. He lives out the values that he's proclaiming. He's doing these things before them. He's displaying before them what the kingdom of God looks like, and he calls to us to live in the same way. Ultimately, his whole life was one of service. Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus says, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The ultimate service that Jesus comes and gives to his people is laying down his life on their behalf so that they might know God, so that they might be forgiven of their sins. He gives his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus is calling us to live our lives as a witness to others of what he is like. Paul addresses this in Philippians chapter 2. Beginning with verse 1. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's been given to you. It's been bought for you by Christ in Christ. And that mindset is the one that he lived out before you. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant, came and served his people that he might ransom them. So in this upper room, as Jesus is confronting this dispute among his followers, he's saying, no, 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 you're not acting anything like me. You're acting like the world, but that's, that's not what you're called to be. That's not what you are made to be in Christ. That's not what the kingdom of God is like at all. I'm among you as 
the one who serves, Jesus says. You see, as we consider being the people of God, this is very much central to our mission as his people. This is a part of our mission. We are called to bear witness to the gospel message. The reality is there are likely people, a person or some people, in your life, whether in your home or your neighborhood or your workplace or in the church, who cannot say that they know a born-again believer who they truly respect. I didn't say everyone in your life. I'm saying someone. There's likely someone in your life. And so those people, when they don't know what the truths of the gospel look like fleshed out, They begin to rely on negative stereotypes for what Christianity is. I hope you understand what I'm I'm saying here. They've never really known someone who calls themselves a Christian and at the same time displays the values that Christ displayed. And so they rely on stories that they've heard of angry, bashing, legalistic, unloving people. Ask, just take a poll of people, what do you think Christianity means or what does it look like or what is a Christian like? And you'll get responses like this today. That shouldn't be the case because when they rely on those stereotypes and then hear the gospel message, we want them to be able to say, yes, I've seen Pete And how he serves others and loves people genuinely. I can see this has had an effect on his life. I see this message truly lived out in this person. The Lord has placed us graciously here to bear witness to his kingdom. Just as Christ did. We look in the Gospel of Luke again, and he came preaching the kingdom, and he came bringing the kingdom, bearing witness to the kingdom, showing what the kingdom is like. And the way we do that, as we see in this text, is by serving, not by lording over other people. And so I want to encourage you to consider the areas of your life, the different, different spheres that the Lord has put you in that you're a part of, and how the Lord has called you to serve in each of those areas. We tend to, when we talk about mission and living out the truths of the gospel, we tend to jump right to the cross-cultural missionary sphere. But not everyone is called to that. I love uh, the missionary segments of our services. I think the guys have been very purposeful to say these times are to encourage each of us to do mission where we live, where we are. I love that. That's hopefully what we're going to focus on in these next minutes together. 
So I want to consider, I want you to consider the different spheres you live in. The first that we ought to think of is our homes. If Jesus calls us to be those who serve because he's one who serves, how does that affect, how does the truth of the gospel affect the way that I'm living in my home and displaying the gospel in my home? Often it's a forgotten area. To fathers, I would encourage you, we are called to bear witness to the gospel in our homes as we serve. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. Fathers, that's for you. That's for me. We're called to bear witness to the gospel in our homes as we serve. Will my sons hear the gospel message and recognize how it affects my life? When they hear that one who is worthy came to them, though they are unworthy and served them by giving his life for them, will they say, I've seen this in dad. Dad believes, and he's been changed by this truth. Husbands, wives, do you serve as unto the Lord? Or until it doesn't go as planned. Or until there isn't praise and thanks given to you for your serving. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Serve this way, Paul and Jesus said. How are you serving as a husband? How are you serving as a Christian wife or mother? If you're here as a child, you still live at home and you call yourself a follower of Christ. You believe in Jesus. How are you serving in your home? How does the gospel affect your childhood? Do you look like Jesus and the message that you embrace, the way that you serve your brothers or sisters, the way that you serve your parents? So how does the gospel and the one who came to serve us affect the way we serve in our home? Secondly, how does it affect the way we serve our neighbors. Now, certainly we look at the Gospel of Luke and the story of the Good Samaritan. We cannot leave this out. This is an often neglected mission field where we are called to serve and to display the glorious truth of the Gospel, that by our lives we are saying we believe that this is true. 
and that Jesus is worthy. So how can you serve your neighbors? We ought to ask ourselves those questions. How can I serve my neighbors just as Christ left his home and came and served me and made himself nothing? Taking the form of a servant. How, how can I serve my neighbors? Or maybe just begin by picking a neighbor. How can I serve that neighbor? How can I serve them in a way that makes the values of the kingdom of God seem compelling or puts them on display? Think through those things. Am I inviting them into our lives? The way that the Lord Jesus has invited me into his Am I serving them at their home the way the Lord came to me and served me by cutting the grass of elderly or disabled or shoveling the snow of a neighbor because I already finished my driveway and theirs doesn't look good? Loving them and taking interest in them and taking interest in their children simply communicating with them without gossiping about the other neighbors. And making these things purposeful to bear witness to the gospel. Third, we ought to consider the sphere of our workplace. This could be difficult. The world looks at the workplace as the place to vie for position. Right? That's where you do that. Right? You might be a Christian, but the workplace is where you've got to do that. You've got to vie for position there. You're not going to get anywhere. How are you going to meet your career goals? How are you going to get that promotion? But as we consider the kingdom and its values, the kingdom of God and its values are not sacrificed at the altar of corporate America. This takes purposeful thought and prayer and humility. How would Jesus have you serve those in your workplace? Would, you, would those in your workplace believe that you are united to Christ who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing? Would they understand what it looks like for a person to love the unlovely because they work with you? Those are tough questions, but the gospel demands that we ask them, Right? If God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom with values that are opposite the world's values, then those of us who love Jesus and are a part of that kingdom should be recognized as those who serve. That's what Jesus is saying here. We ought to be recognized as those who serve, who reflect the values of Christ. We may push back on that. You may think, what if I get stepped on or what if I get overlooked for that promotion? I 
I would encourage you in that. First of all, you won't ever be stepped on or overlooked or forgotten by the Lord Jesus. And hopefully that is motivating. (laughs) But also, as Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that promotions are from the devil, right? I'm not saying that. We're called to work. We're called to labor as unto the Lord. That's Colossians 3. Work as unto the Lord. Work hard as unto the Lord. Do what you've been called and commanded to do as unto the Lord. Use your gifts as unto the Lord. But do it in a manner that makes Him look great. Fourth, the church. Do you come to serve or to be served? Truly. So often people are part of a local church body, but they never serve or even truly know those who are brothers and sisters with them. That is in no way what Jesus died to make us as a body. How are you displaying kingdom values in the way you serve those in the body of Christ? We all struggle. We all struggle. We all struggle with what we refer to as this sense of entitlement, right? Here's the, here's the reality. The gospel says this, and we say this as we embrace the gospel. We say this concerning the gospel. I am worthy of nothing, but God gave himself to me and for me. And now I serve him gladly. That's what we acknowledge, that's what we proclaim in the gospel. But we are tempted to go into the different areas of our life and say by our actions, I am worthy of everything, but you give me nothing, and so I grumble and I complain rather than reflecting the truths of the gospel in the way we go and serve as Christ served us. And that's what Christ is calling for his disciples to do, and that's what he's calling for us to do today as followers of him. And so I would encourage you, as we consider how Jesus came to serve us, we remember that ultimately he did that by giving his life body was broken and his blood shed on the cross. And so as we, his body, brothers and sisters in Christ, prepare to take the bread and the cup this morning, commemorating that truth of the gospel, let me encourage you to pray through these areas of your life, your home and your neighborhood and your work and this local body, or if you're visiting this morning and you're a part of another body, pray concerning that body that the Lord has called you to be a servant among. Pray. Are you seeking 
to be a servant of Christ? Are you seeking to display the values of the kingdom of God? Are you more invested in seeking earthly greatness? Maybe this would be a time to evaluate how you're serving in each of these areas and then repent. Repent for the ways that you are lording it over others rather than serving as Christ served you. I would encourage you, if you're struggling through this or maybe if you're here this morning and and this whole message is just some foreign thing to you, I have people who will be in the prayer room in the back of the lobby. When I talk about the Lord Jesus coming to serve and give his life as a ransom, he says, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life for a ransom for many. For many. Not for few. For many. That those who call on the name of Jesus and trust in him and his work on the cross will be forgiven. You've never been served in your life like that. You've never experienced anything greater than that, that someone would serve you in such a way that your sins could be forgiven and you could be in a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe. And that's what Jesus came to do. And so if you'd want to pray with someone about those things or even as a follower of Jesus, as one who's struggling with displaying the kingdom values to those around you, I'd encourage you to go to the prayer room and pray this morning. Let's prepare our hearts as we prepare to take the bread and the cup that we would do that together joyfully thanking God that our forgiveness and our rightness and our wholeness and our purity, our blamelessness depends on His work of being a servant and not our own. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. Lord, we see in the disciples and we see in the mirror We would be forever lost if it was dependent upon us to save ourselves. We are entitled. We are self-centered. We embrace the values of this world so readily. But you are the one who came and served us ultimately, setting us free from those things. And you've shown us in your word that the same power that raised you from the dead is at work on our behalf. You've given us your spirit, and you've encouraged us through the word that we put off the old, those things that are attached to the world and its values, and to put on the new, those things that were displayed perfectly in you, Jesus, as you came and lived among us. So please, in this time, stir in our hearts. Lord, please don't let us be a people who see these truths in the scripture and dismiss them. We don't want to foolishly Look at your word and turn away and neglect it. Help us to embrace. Help us to be glad to embrace anything in our lives that would display you better to other people. I pray that for myself, Lord. I pray that for those who are here. If there's anyone here, Lord, who does not know you truly, Lord, please awaken their hearts. Shine in their hearts that they would see how wonderful you are, how beautiful you are, that you would come and give of yourself 
taking the punishment for sin upon yourself, taking God's wrath upon yourself, so that all those who come to you in faith, believing, would be set free, holy and blameless before you. We praise you and we pray for that. In Christ's name, amen.